This is the We Spin Recipes podcast with Andrew Apanov. Hello everyone, Andrew Apanov here with yet another episode of We Spin Recipes. On this podcast, if you are new to the show, uh, we feature exceptional influencers, startup owners and projects from the music world. Our guests share uh, insights, tips to help you grow your own music brand. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or via email. And in fact, the best way to do the latter is by signing up to my free email-based course called Fan Engagement Faculty once you are in. You will be getting an email from me uh, once a week, no more than once a week, uh, on Mondays with information about the latest podcast episodes. Check it out at box.wispin.co. The guest of today's episode is someone I already hosted on the show over a year ago and someone I'm always excited to listen to sharing his advice and stories. He's the founder of Plate Loud Music, the author of the book called Musicpreneur, besides many other things, Aaron Bethune. If you didn't hear our first interview, please check it out at wispin.co forward slash WSR29. It's a source of some cool tips from Aaron and where he also does a proper overview of his background in the industry. So in this episode, we skip the intro and head straight into the discussion of the stuff Aaron has been involved in of the course of uh, the last year or so. Uh, so yeah, if you want to learn more about Aaron, his work, I highly encourage you to check out uh, the episode number 29. What you're about to hear today is one of the coolest case studies I've come across lately. It's quite inspiring and should give you a bunch of ideas for marketing your own projects. Even if you're not at the level of partnering with your countries or states governments or performing with BB King's bands at this point at least, there is an important lesson for you still and um, Aaron has shared a number of tips applied specifically to up-and-coming musicians. If you want to learn more on the artist Aaron talks about, his name is Steve Azar and you can find a link to the website dedicated to Steve Azar and the Kingsman in the show notes once again at wispin.co forward slash WSR80. I won't reveal more at this point. Please listen to the episode in full for all the details. Aaron, welcome to the Wispin Recipes podcast once again. I'm excited to have you on the show again. Let me know what's what's up. Well, first of all, I'm excited to be back on your show. It's uh, I don't have a ton of time to listen to podcasts, but I always listen to yours because you are somebody who seems to be very up-to-date with what's going on. And I just um, find myself gravitating back to your podcast. And of course, it helps that I'm on your mailing list. So I know when they're out and I know who's being interviewed. And, and so anyways, I'm very excited to be back on here and honored that you'd want me to, to come back. Much appreciated. Yeah, that, that's awesome. And uh, I know that... You've been working on some interesting things as always. Uh, you're the one who, I mean, I, I just, I'm always impressed with the amount of interesting things and uh, projects in the industry, like being worked on at the same time and um, lots of cool projects. And I believe that there is something in particular that you may want to share with us today. But yeah, first of all, uh, you mind just um, sure. telling our listeners what you've been up to in the past year? Sure. Well, I, I I think first of all, thanks again for being interested in uh, 
in what I do. I, in fact, tell a lot of people that I work in the music business, but try and stay away from the music industry, partially because I think it's oversaturated. And there's certainly still some ways to go about finding success in a traditional sense. But I think that the way for today's artists to you know really find um, you know success with some of the new tools and the new ways of thinking, a lot of that can be found outside of the music industry. And so I find myself in a lot of situations where I am involved with people and companies that aren't necessarily within the context of the music industry, but have been able to identify a strong value in music or a musical approach to doing things, whether it be branding, building audiences, packaging products. And so I do find myself in a number of situations that certainly keep me interested and uh, the people I work with. And so one of the things that we've been working on, which um, you know, before this call we were, were just briefly talking about, which might be pertinent to people out there that are, are you know, looking to develop their career further and not sure what to do next, this particular, I guess you could say, case study is a client of mine. And we, we, we met by chance. And it was, it was sort of funny because when, when I first got the phone call from them, I was expecting another call and I thought it was going to be somebody else. And so I picked up the phone and said, hey, Bob. And it wasn't Bob. It was someone called Steve. And uh, so that was sort of how, how the relationship started. And he was actually talking to me at the time about um, movies and music and movies. And, and I um, had this call with Bob. So I couldn't spend much time on the phone. I had about three minutes to talk to Steve. And after, you know, getting off the phone with Bob and starting to look at the follow-up email Steve had sent me, I started going, oh, wow, you know, look at this guy and all these things that he's done. How come I haven't, you know, necessarily heard of him? And I was looking at all these different things and he was one of the top 100 celebrity golfers, actually ranked in the top 10 by Golf Digest had one of the top five most played songs on country radio in the United States. It's had, you know, numerous hits and tours and had done all these different things. I mean, he was he owns a festival and has a, his own celebrity golf tournament. Um, you know, there's just all these different things, written hits for other people. And all the while, it just felt like there was all these parts of his career that weren't necessarily connecting. So in other words, you could actually know him because of perhaps his golf side, or you could know him from the music, or you could know him from, you know, these other things that, you know, like a lot of people out there, he's one of those guys that's really good at anything he does. So it's more like pick one and go for it rather than uh, trying to figure out what you're good at. And over time, just looking at absolutely everything that made him who he is, and I think that's something that's you know hugely important for any artist that's getting started is to figure out who you are. You know, there's a lot of people that you know, have a passion for music and they get into music, but at some point along the way, they get swayed with what they think they should be doing, right. and they get swayed to do things a certain way to fit in. When mm -hmm. really, when you look at the people that stand out, they don't fit in, and I think a good way to do that is to start off by really understanding who you are, why you do what you do, what you're passionate about, what makes you you and makes you know you different and finding a way to glorify that and you know promote that because there's always going to be somebody else who can you know relate to that piece and um you know I, I think that's that's actually the beauty of it and so in this case I found that um 
the thing about Steve was, is he was passionate, very passionate about the place that he called home, which was the state of Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And he had, you know, he'd, he'd had success in Mississippi when he was younger, touring with, with a band like many people out of high school. And he had had a lot of you know, experiences with record labels and going out to New York with, uh, you know, different executives that um, really loved what he was doing, but they just couldn't couldn't figure out where to put him. And um, so eventually he he ended up going to Nashville and in Nashville, he got a start really quite quickly in the world of publishing. And, you know, from there, it, it turned into finding his own success and you know, there was people along the way that were getting involved and that resonated with him as a person. And he had a music video that had Morgan Freeman featured in it. And uh, Morgan wanted to do the video. No, he didn't didn't actually ask for a fee. He just really believed in it and wanted to be a part of it. But after looking at everything that Steve does and did, it was very apparent to me that it all came back to Mississippi, the lyrics, the people, even the the sort of the sound that was the driving force behind his music, and he was, you know, he had his own his he has his own charity, and and the money goes back to Mississippi and you know to youth and music and arts, and so that being the glue, that being sort of his, I guess, underlying brand, made it apparent to me that we needed to really make sure that that stood out even more. You know, I might have been looking and going, well, this is obvious to me, but, you know, it needs to start becoming more obvious to other people as well. Because if you if you want to chase a hit, there's a lot of ways to do it. But, you know, having a big machine behind you makes a big difference, which also involves having the money and the time. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of energy that goes into that as well. And and in our case, we wanted to create new music. Um, it was time, mm-hmm. but we didn't want it to be necessarily about going out and finding, you know, what would what would ideally be a hit. We wanted it to make it a record that was just about the music and true to him. And so I started to look at ways that we could involve Mississippi so that when people thought of him, they would start to think of Mississippi. And obviously in a very ideal way, if people thought of Mississippi, maybe think of him. And an example of that would, you know, would be say Bob Marley. I mean, if you think of reggae, you probably think about Marley. If you think of Jamaica, you probably think of reggae. If you think of reggae, you think about Marley. And then if you think of reggae, you probably think of the positive things that Bob Marley has to say and the one love and bring people together. And, you know, it's become one and the same. Whereas the reality is, is that there's a lot of reggae artists out there and there's a lot of reggae that isn't about being positive and how we should all come together. But, you know, we've identified with the music as being something that again we can identify with as a brand that represents people not every song that he put out was a hit or necessarily you know would be in everyone's opinion to be a great song but what he stood for and what he did overall was um you know was definitely could be defined as a brand and one that a lot of people connect with all over and so you know thinking big you know my thought process was well you know is there a way to do this and so I started to get into the element of the government and I started, you know, connecting with different people and we'd actually, like many of these things and anyone who may have listened to our previous podcast, 
I believe very strongly in the idea that, you know, starting is the most important piece. And, and when you take action, there's consequently a reaction. So you can, you can stand in one place and try and come up with every detail of what you're going to be doing for a specific project and look at all the angles and what could go wrong, what could go right. And you can just think about it and think about it and think about it. But until you take action, nothing happens. And when you do take action, some of the things that appeared as problems have their own you know, fixes, I guess, that, that appear. And so in this case, you know, we had taken action on this idea of pursuing some sort of partnership with the state of Mississippi, although we didn't know how that was going to happen. And so on a keynote speaking engagement that I had Steve doing, we had someone come to us afterwards who was in the crowd say, hey, we'd really love to have Steve put his voice to our campaign for the 100th anniversary of Mississippi Department of Transportation. So mm-hmm. there was our first sort of, I guess, connection that was coming out of it. In fact, I, I, that's not entirely true. It, it didn't start off with the voice for, the, for this 100th anniversary video series. It was actually to help identify how we might be able to improve the usage of transportation in Mississippi, mm-hmm. public transportation, sorry. And, which was really interesting because you know, I'm essentially music business guy. And now I'm starting to get involved in how can I help Mississippi public transportation be used by more people, which in turn led to a lot of interesting, I guess, revelations. Now, I live on the West Coast of Canada and, you know, we're very keen to be green and to utilize all of, you know, the, the things available to us to help make the environment green. Whereas in Mississippi, the idea of getting on a bus was very, um, you know, I guess, uh, suggestive of you're in a specific class, mm-hmm, social mm-hmm. class. And yeah. so our, our part to that was, well, how could we perhaps make that cool? We started looking at, you know, a way to do a campaign in which maybe we had, you know, some, some people riding the bus and celebrities and people talking about their experiences of public transportation and how they still use it to this, and, you know, try and shift the perspective. Well, that turned into us finding out that they had their 100th anniversary of Mississippi Department of Transportation. And then we ended up being, well, Steve in this case, being the guy whose voice was over all of their videos, of which we're trying to cover in short segments the past 100 years of Mississippi's Department of Transportation. So that was my first in with the government side of things. And I basically just started to work my way up through you know different connections to get into the tourism side of Mississippi with the right types of introductions. And along the way, we were developing this sort of concept of, well, how do we create a partnership? What are they partnering with? And is there maybe an overall brand that, you know, we can sort of position to be making sense for them to be partnering with us? So to go back a little bit in time, when I started working with Steve early on, he had signed an agreement to be the face of a of a, a liquor company, a, a whiskey, mm-hmm. and he had a campaign. They were they were creating a campaign around it, and this was already in place before I got involved. But the first thing I thought was, we need to control how you're portrayed. Mm-hmm. So we had a very short time frame to do this, but basically we ended up creating something that we we referred to as being the Delta Man, and the Delta Man was somebody that. It was everything that Steve represented in his, you know, the different formats, his golfing, his turns out he's a great chef, his charitable stuff, his music, his, you know, all these 
pieces. And so we'd already found a way to connect his dots under some sort of an umbrella. So when we when we were developing this thought for the, uh, I guess the the partnership with potential partnership with the government, it became clear that what we wanted to go for was spokesperson role. So I started talking to different people and and you know contacting them, getting on the phone, even meeting with certain people, and just saying, hey, look, you know, this is something that you know we feel could be highly valuable, and here's our reasoning as to why this could benefit you guys. And that's where, for example, music comes in with such a strong value because one thing that music does is it brings people together. It helps, you know, you can you can empathize for somebody else through hearing the music and connecting to it and going, hey, I, I can feel that. Or I felt that. Or, you know, it's, it's a way of, of bringing people together uh, without it being any sort of a political connection. And so, of course, musicians being that they connect with their audience, or at least hopefully, <laughs> you know, it's a great way to have not messaging in a strategic way, but if you already represent everything that's good about something, then, you know, there can be a very clear value as to why, you know, in this case, Steve was writing about Mississippi and was relating to Mississippi and his charitable endeavors were to do with Mississippi, all these things with Mississippi. And so it was, it was a very clear path to reaching an organic audience, which in turn could in a spokesperson role would allow for us to be reaching a much larger audience while still doing what we do or better so what he does. Yeah. Um, and, and so sort of interrupting you here, but to uh, just emphasize that point, it's very important to be genuine in what you support and what you talk about and uh, you, the values that you've got, because I guess you would have a, a difficult time arranging these partnerships if there wasn't an existing connection built other years by Steve with the state, for example. Absolutely. Absolutely. And of course, you know, we were counting on, on you know, his past successes. And, uh, you know, may, maybe at the end of this, we can talk about um, potentially also how people do this that don't have, you know, this body of work and massive mm -hmm. success. But I think a big part of it is starting off with recognizing, do you represent something or is, you know, what is there something that makes you unique? I mean, if you're middle of the road, you're everything to everybody and or you're just you know nothing to nobody yeah. it's very difficult to even sort of take things in a direction my, my experience is is one once you it's like putting a lens on or filtering something you can look at the same thing but you you have to look at it through different lenses until the right one you know gives you the right view i, I suppose if you're going to an eye exam would be the one that you can the letters go from being blurry to being in vision yeah. and focus and i think that you know, once you've identified that thing, then suddenly it all makes sense. And every step you take builds upon that idea of what your value is. So, you know, in, in our case, by identifying Mississippi as being the glue, then everything we did was emphasizing that. And, and it didn't always mean that we things were being done differently. It just meant that we were making a point of ensuring that, you know, people you know, were aware of this so that they started mm -hmm. to connect him more with the state than perhaps they had previously. And so as we, uh, I think I just, I've got to remember where I was, but so basically I, I was starting to develop these relationships and knocking on doors, so to speak, but with people who had given me the address. In other words, I was being given connections and introductions and, you know, just sort of making my way and always trying to, I mean, whenever I go into any sort of negotiating scenarios, 
I always try to look and see what are everybody's values, what does everybody want to get, and how do we work something out where everyone wins? And one thing I think a lot of people don't in the, well, in the music industry, the relationships, and I don't even want to call them negotiations, start with the musician asking for something, yes. you know, asking for help. Yes, it's so, and so common, I, I don't actually get anything. If, in other words, if someone comes to me and says, I want your help. Well, if I want to look at it from my angle, what's in it for me? How do I win? Because a lot of times from you know musicians that are starting out, money's not part of that. So how am I going to win from being associated or doing this? And you know, and that's the sort of thing that in the musician's case, you know, if they could kind of go, okay, well, how can I bring value in this case, you know, to me, to Aaron, with you know, how can I say this is what I can do for you, and can you do this for me? And so I was constantly in in the case of Steve and the government looking for ways to really show how they would benefit. Mm-hmm. So um, essentially, I, I ended up speaking with all kinds of people in all sorts of places of of power, while realizing that I was also going after this from a perspective of there's never been anyone who's done this role before. There wasn't a job description for it. They weren't looking for someone to do this, and there was no case study per se that existed from the past showing that this would be successful. So nobody wanted to take the risk. And of course, everyone likes to keep their job. So the idea of somebody saying, okay, we're going to take a risk on this and and we're going to set up a budget for it, that just wasn't happening. And so I was, you know, this months were going past and I was, you know, meanwhile, really confident that this was something that would work. So, you know, I guess to fast forward somewhat, I ended up meeting with the governor of Mississippi and that came about through the golf and celebrity celebrity golf and charity event that Steve has, and you know we we were able to get the governor out to this thing, which which in itself is an interesting thing because politically, you know I, I'm not someone who who wants to bring politics into these things, although you start to very quickly understand how how certain things are always political, mm-hmm. and you know at the same time you know without going too far into it. I mean, clearly I, we all have opinions on how things should be done or shouldn't be done and what we believe in and what we don't believe in. And, you know, sometimes you end up not doing, um, you end up doing business with people that have different opinions. And, you know, I think that there's a lot to be said also when you're, when you're dealing with people, I think there's a lot to be said to in that process of finding out what everyone's values are and what people want so that everyone's winning is to also find ways to connect with people. We're all humans. We all have some way of of being able to be connected. And I think that sometimes to shed the superficial things and the differences and all of those things to get to the core of who we are and to connect on more of a human level, you know, it's really important to find the similarities instead of focusing on the differences. And again, you know, I think that, you know, at the end of the day, if you want to make change and if you want to make things happen, you know, you have to always find that way of, of connecting. So it was interesting to me, you know, to, to have this this meeting with the governor in the South. I'm from the West Coast of Canada, as I've mentioned. And, you know, to be able to to have a conversation that was, you know, putting us on a, a level of communicating and, and doing something that we felt was, was positive. So I ended up um, working, I guess, from the top down. Then I was able to follow up with the governor and and uh, provide him with you know my plans and the information and he loved it he absolutely loved it 
And the first thing he did was he connected with the director of tourism. Mm-hmm. So now from, I guess, a, uh, you know, a, a perspective of maybe the psychology of things, this particular director had also been just come into this position. In fact, you know, he was, he was new on the job. He'd actually done this role um, years previously. But when the governor is saying that he loves something and someone else is coming in and, you know, they're, they're able to, uh, to do something that's been identified as a positive thing and it's also the person you're working for that really likes it, now there's this, I guess, the psychological aspect of it too, where you're, you know, you're, you're recognizing everyone's position and, and how to, you know, ideally have everyone working to, again, win from it and benefit in individual right. ways yeah. as well as, as a bigger way. So at that point, you know, the, the director of, of tourism also had experience in the music industry. And in essence, fast forward again, we, after negotiations and after just, you know, fine tuning, the governor said, you know what, a spokesperson is sort of a passe thing. I'm sure we can come up with a much cooler name. And so he actually not only said yes to this whole thing, which like I said, there's no job description, no request for someone to do this. Yeah. Um, he actually said, why don't you name the position? So <laughs> not only did they also create a fund for this, but the role that we've come up with is music and culture ambassador of Mississippi. And so moving forward, I should probably mention that in this whole process, we had gone about going into the idea of the new record. As I was saying, it was time for that. And one of the things that felt really important now creating new content musically was to, again, emphasize Mississippi. Yeah. So what we did is we had a bunch of songs that Steve had written. And we were at the time, you know, we, we thought, you know what, we need to do this record in Mississippi. We need to find people that are just steeped in, in the Delta. And we're going to throw some songs at them that aren't blues. And we're going to see what they come up with. And, you know, we at the time thought we would do this, record this at Ground Zero, which, which is Morgan Freeman's club in Clarksdale, the crossroads. And we realized the hardest part was going to be to find these musicians. And one day I was talking to the director of the B.B. Uh, King Museum because they had asked Steve to, to co-headline with Keb Moe, the B.B. The King Homecoming Festival. And we were talking and he was mentioning to me that B.B.'s band was going to be there and that every year B.B. would go, go to, the, uh, to Club Ebony after the, the festival and do a jam. You know, that his band would be there and they'd have Lucille and, you know, that it would be this, this really cool thing. And he encouraged for Steve to participate in after the festival. So a light bulb went off in my head and I thought right there, I said, I got to interrupt you. And I, this is a little bit left field, but what are the chances of the band recording with Steve on the new record? And Robert thought that was a fantastic idea. And that led to him introducing me to one of the band members. And then we started to talk about doing the recording. And when Robert found out that we were thinking of Morgan Freeman's place, he said, why wouldn't you do it at Club Ebony, which has all this history? Yeah. Where all these incredible, you know, from Ray Charles to James Brown to B.B. King had all gone through this club. And it was, you know, it's it's a Mississippi landmark. At the time, we we already had sort of spoken with with Morgan and his people about you know taking over his venue, and somewhere along the lines, a film crew came into this, and they had booked Morgan's place, meaning that we actually 
we're not going to be able to get the dates that we wanted to, that we're going to line up with the musicians. Mm -hmm. So perfect time to go back to Robert and say, you know what, we really do need to do Club Ebony. It's, I guess it's meant to be. And so we ended up, you know, getting Club Ebony down in Indianola, Mississippi and BB's guys, but BB's keyboard player couldn't do it. So we reached out to a friend and that turned into David Briggs, who played with Elvis for, I don't know how many years, on and off since I think about 62 up till his death and was part of the Jungle Sessions right before he died and, and had, you know, consequently incredible Elvis stories. Mm-hmm. Come out of Nashville. So now we had these guys that were BB's guys, Elvis's guy. David actually had, had been on over a thousand number ones, which is incredible to even think about. And the next thing was, is we brought a, our engineer out of Nashville to build a studio inside of the club to make the record. And so as you can see, now we're, we're recording in a, at a Mississippi landmark music that's about Mississippi with all these people that had very strong ties to Mississippi. And they were all from a very different genre of music that that, that Steve was known for, um, you know, out of Nashville, he had country hits. And he calls his own breed of music Delta Soul. But again, you know, especially the BB guys are very blues-driven musicians. And so, like I was saying earlier, we, we wanted to see what would happen with them just bringing their own flavor to the mix, sort of like a palette where everyone, uh, you know, does some painting, you know, puts their own strokes, I guess you could yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So while this was going, you know, while we were planning all this, it was like, oh, we have to film this thing. And so we we decided to film it and we had a film crew come in and, and that in turn starts to lead towards being a documentary. And of course, everyone's, you know, their background, their experience, the place, the history of Mississippi, the history of the Delta, you know, all these pieces started to emerge that just sort of fitted in because at the same time, you know, we didn't we didn't want to turn it into the making of per se. We wanted it to be something people would be interested in seeing, whether or not they'd ever heard of of the musicians, but rather just the content of the um, of the documentary. While at the same time, while we were creating this content, we were also creating intellectual property, valuable intellectual property that we would have as an asset while negotiating with people like the state and sponsors that, in turn, also by us having a connection to the state, would have an interest in being affiliated with us so as to be indirectly affiliated with the state. Yeah. So, you know, all of these pieces, you know, were, were originated from identifying, in Steve's case, the strong tie and connection to Mississippi so that we were able to essentially, in every step of the way, go, okay, well, we need to emphasize that. So we, um, you know, we did this record in Mississippi. We did it with the people that we did it with. We did it with the songs that we did. We filmed this. We've created a film that you know goes beyond the music and you know delves into the people and the place and you know all of this in turn means that now the next step. Now all this isn't going to be made official. I'm thinking it's probably going to be Jan 25th, which is when we'll we'll have a a day in which it's going to be announced. I guess Jan 25th of next year, um, and then on in February uh, we're off to the Grammy week and. The state of Mississippi is one of the only states that get their own night at Grammy Week. Uh-huh. So that's because, interesting. Yeah. So because of our connection, Steve and these guys are headlining it. 
Oh, so yeah. now suddenly the connection of the state and tourism has opened up these doors of how we go about promoting a record and a documentary and at the same time tying it into positive marketing for the state of Mississippi and um yeah which is again i mean it's opened incredible amounts of doors i mean you'd be amazed that or probably not amazed actually it's probably somewhat obvious that that the, the in this case the state of mississippi is very active at promoting themselves at music festivals throughout the world i mean they're heavily involved in music festivals in europe and you know there's there's always um you know conventions and conferences and things that you know these people are at promoting the state i mean uh -huh. for example just the fact that recently i think it's british airways have have made it so that there's now going to be a direct flight from london england to new orleans is actually also directly connected to the state of mississippi because it's bringing people into an area that's first of all right next to mississippi and it starts to tie into the musical heritage that you can find in both states and so there's all these there's all these things that i mean you know, I could elaborate a lot more on on a lot of the details and where they all go, but I'm I'm sure if anyone listening, you can sort of start to hear how you can almost come up with ways that this sort of a partnership becomes valuable in a musical context and a musical career that isn't. And so far, we haven't talked about record labels. You know, we haven't talked about any of the traditional forms of promoting yeah. this. But as you yeah. can see, there's many ways to do that through the state. And, and even from the record label perspective, I mean, at this point in time, if we were to go down that path, there's a perspective of we have the state as a partner that is also keen to promote every aspect of what Steve does as there's now this partnership. So in other words, when someone gets involved in the project, they also are going to be able to recognize that they're going to benefit from a very large marketing machine that a lot of people that come to them for record deals don't have, yeah. which in turn gives us a lot more negotiating power yeah. than someone who's coming and saying, please, can you help me? As I was saying earlier, which is sort of a trend. And brand endorsements so, as well, right? So I guess uh, the Steve's brand is now more, much more interesting to potential brands who, may, who you may want to do something with just in terms of sponsorships. Absolutely. And I, and I think that, I mean, again, once you've identified that thing, it becomes easier and easier and easier to build it and to make decisions. I mean, I think that's that's a big, big part of everything is, is decision making, because a lot of people don't make a decision because they're concerned of the consequences of that decision. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that the biggest part is taking these leaps of faith per se and getting behind what you decide to do a hundred percent. I mean, at the end of the day, once you've made a decision, you don't have to concern yourself about making the decision, but rather you have to concern yourself about the outcome of the decision that you made. So you're sort of in it rather than thinking about it. And so when those decisions become easier to make, because there's a much clearer path in front of you, then you make many more decisions and much faster. And, you know, you're able to build on and get to, you know, ideally your, your destination a lot quicker. I mean, I think in our last podcast, using the mountain analogy, once you've seen the summit, once you've seen where you're going, then, you know, you're able to set your sights and go, okay, that's where we're headed. But then you can look back down at your feet and go, okay, I need to make the next step. But you know that you're not taking the step backwards or to the sides you, because you've identified you've got to go forward in the direction of the top, you know, and looking at the top while taking each step can actually make it very hard to take the next step because you feel exhausted before you've begun. And so, you know, in this case, 
for us, recognizing Mississippi was sort of like looking at the top, you know, that partnership. And now, you know, really, it's almost like going, okay, well, what are a bunch of brands that are either one representative of Mississippi or two really want to be associated with Mississippi? Yeah. And now we can go to them going, hey, here's what we're doing and here's how it's going to present value to you. When you've got those brands on board, then you can go to the next. I mean, it's just it's it's one of those things where you're always building upon it rather than, you know, sort of throwing out a net and trying to see what you can catch. You know, you actually know where to go. I mean, if I guess not that I'm a fisherman, but I suppose it would be, you know, like if you know where the fish are. If you go to the the right spot of the river because that's where they are, you're likely to catch more fish than if you just sort of randomly run up and down trying yeah. to throw one. I mean, the this story is amazing. It's just mind-blowing. The amount of connections you've made and uh, how everything worked together is just, it's such a great case study. I think just listening to you telling the story, it just, it's already beneficial. Like I had a number of ideas of how I could apply just the principle, the concepts to, to some of my projects. I think anyone, any musician can come up with some ideas of how they could do something because it shouldn't be taken literally like how I do something with my local state or whatever, but how, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you just phrased it uh, neatly. Just one thing, and this is my question to you, not as much about Steve's case, although, I mean, it's amazing and I'm sure that there is a lot more that you could say about it, but those artists who are listening to us, who are just building up their mm-hmm. presence and their brand in some of the don't even see that summit just yet because they're just trying mm-hmm. new different things and just figuring it out at some stages to me it's mm-hmm. it's fine sometimes it takes too long for some artists what recommendation would you give to those musicians or just any kind of brands to start building this up to eventually end up in a place like steve well i think uh, you said it earlier about you know you do have to have an audience and so of course building an audience is is sort of the ongoing process throughout. But again, recognizing who that audience you're trying to target is helps you go after them as well. I mean, it's sort of like if you know that uh, if you're a virtuoso, I don't know, metal guitar player, sort of like a Steve Vai or something like that, then, you know, you've probably identified that the, the majority of your audience are male and, you know, you've probably identified the type of places that you, venues that you might be able to play and, um you know, so you've already identified who your audience is and that's going to help you, you know, build it. I think, though, that for me, seeing the top of the mountain, it actually doesn't take a long time to see it. It's just and you have to you have to, like I said earlier, sort of soul search to some degree in trying to figure out who you are and being OK with that. You don't have to be like everybody else. Because, for example, I remember I'm a juror for for one of the, well, I think it's the largest grant funding for musicians in Canada. Mm-hmm. And I remember a particular person submitting, you know, their application. And in their case, their thing was sort of like glee yoga. So this guy had uh, sort of like a Broadway musical type uh, background of singing, not, not that he was on Broadway, but that style of singing. Mm-hmm. And he was a yoga teacher. And he was in Vancouver, which is, you know, a hot spot for those type of things. And he had combined the two. So if you went to his class, and he was he was a very, um, what's, um, I'm trying to think of the word, uh, 
he was a very flamboyant gay guy that was just it was almost like a, a women magnet coupled with the yoga <laughs> and uh-huh. the and the singing. So you would go to his yoga class and you would while doing different poses, I mean he'd be maybe like singing You Raise Me Up by Josh Groban. And so very one of those kind of things where if you don't like it, you probably hate it. But if you like it, you love it. And this guy yeah. had just crazy amounts of people lining up for his yoga classes. Well, this was his thing. So he built it up. And he ended up going to places to like, like Japan, where he had hundreds of people in these massive spaces doing this yoga with him, in which there he is singing and everyone's just, you know, feeling the love. And so he had this unique thing to him. Now, Along the way, it happened to be that a guy from a record label attended one of these things, and that helped him in a career in the, I guess, regular music aspect of things. But mm-hmm. when he was coming for this grant funding, what he was presenting was, hey, here's what I'm doing. People love what I do. They have this incredible experience while they're doing it, and I've got music to sell them. So, of course, people afterwards would end up wanting to purchase the music. Yeah. To relive the experience and to do it at home. Well, to me, this was a no brainer. I mean, I, I gave this person like a full mark, so to speak, on their application, because to me, there was an obvious way they'd sell their product. There was an obvious brand they were developing and there really weren't any competitors. And another person might look at this thing, and go, well, I like to sing and I like to do yoga, but I guess I can't do both. And I sort of sing Broadway style. So I should probably go to, you know, into that world of music. And this guy didn't. This guy decided to combine the two. And it's since then gone into more of a brand. He has his own clothing. He's got all kinds of things. And they're all products that make sense. Because as soon as he identified that thing that made him different, it was a no-brainer way of, of making choices that helped to build it. Yeah. So in his case, you know, as soon as he, he looked in and said, I'm going to combine these two things, my guess is he saw the top of the mountain. He, he probably th- thought, wow this is it. This is my thing. And this is something that, you know, I don't have any competitors in. And, and then, you know, the rest is history, I guess you could say. But I think that people at any point in their career, you know, starting or, you know, trying to take the next stage or to, you know, uh, rekindle a career from the past, whatever it might be, you know, you have to identify that thing first. And if you come across something and go, but no one else is doing that, so I shouldn't do that. Well, actually, that's the thing you should do. Because if nobody else is doing it, then maybe that's time for you to do that. And it's not to say that you can't go to radio and you can't, you know, chase the hits. You can. It's just that's sort of like playing the game. And there are certain rules to the game and it takes money to play the game. And, you know, not everyone can play that game and not every genre of music, you know, fits the game. But for, you know, the, the average person out there who's taking advantage of all the tools that we have available and all the ways to self-promote and to connect directly with your fans, there's not really a need to be thinking about how to play the game or how to chase the hits. That's not to say you shouldn't write great songs. And I'm a big advocate of going, okay, well, you can always write better songs and why not do co-writing and why not, you know, go down that path of development and, you know, making, making yourself be the best you can be. But, you know, I think that the key is to start off with really looking inside and, um, you know, and trying to figure out what your personal mountain is. Because, again, once you've seen it, you don't have to stare at it. You don't want to look at it all the time because it's overwhelming. But you know what the next step is. And, you know, that helps 
in decision making. I think, you know, for the people that are truly starting out, the other part of this that becomes a little bit, I guess, um, distracting is is social media. Because mm-hmm. social media has become so, you know, numbers based uh, as far as just, well, how many, I mean, I, I see it from the juror side of things too. I mean, there's there's so many grants that still require you to put in what your social media numbers are. I mean, yes, I think you should have a certain amount of followers, but let's be very clear that just because you have, you know, a million followers doesn't necessarily mean that you have a million true fans. I mean, you can pay for things still. And even if you've accumulated them yourself, I mean, there's, you know, is it because of a specific promotion you did? Was the promotion even related to the rest of your, you know, what what you do? I mean, it's, you know, were you selling them something that was really unrelated to everything else you do in your regular life? I mean, there's, there's all these things. And so when you get distracted by numbers, you start to pay attention to other people and you're comparing and you're, you're, you're trying to play that game. And I think that, you know, just like Steve, we weren't trying to say, hey, here's a spokesperson of United States of America or, you know, let's tackle everything all at once. It was more like, you know, actually starting from his hometown, which was middle of nowhere, which also in turn, you know, helped us with the story of, hey, you know, you don't have to be in a music center to be somebody or to come out of somewhere and make an impact on the world music scene. It was, um, you know, identifying all the great things about being from a small town, mm-hmm. you know, being a fish, a big fish in a small pond versus being a tiny, tiny, little, tiny, tiny fish in a massive pond such yeah. as New York or L.A. or, you know, yeah. these, these music centers. And so I think that when people are starting out, you know, don't think that you have to appeal to people in Southeast Asia if you live in North America or if you live in Europe. I mean, think about, you know, even on a touring level, you know, can you build a touring circuit, you know, that's in a radius of a day's drive so you can get home at night? Can you develop that radius so that you can, you know, build it out so it's now you have to spend one night on the road, but you're only a day's drive of the market that pays. So you're always taking small risks, but you're developing it slowly. Are you taking in information from your fans to realize what they like and what they don't like? Are you playing the right venues consequently? Have you, have you realized that your biggest fan base are 13-year-olds, in which case playing in venues that are for 19 plus isn't going to work? And if so, are they connecting to something that you're saying on stage that is sort of one night you sort of said, I'm going to tell them about something very personal and I don't know if it's going to work and and you say it and then suddenly everyone's talking about it and connecting with it and you know, maybe it's that thing that you play, you play music, but you love yoga. Well, maybe that was the night that you found out that you'd actually have a whole bunch of yoga students if you wanted to have them. So there's, you know, there's, there's, there's little things that you can do, but it's, it's deciding what is it that makes you special. And then it's the aspect of also looking at it from the perspective of, I'm trying to think of the right word, you know, being able to also observe the information so that you're always building upon it. You know, Excellent. Yeah. Use, being yeah I, I get what you mean. And it's just uh, great advice. So it's very specific. I can't agree more on that. So, I mean, I can't literally add much more to that. So Aaron, to anyone who got interested in learning more from you and reading some of your stuff and listening and so on, what's, what are the best places to find you online? They can go to playitloudmusic.com. They can go to aaronbethune.com. And they can go to musicpreneur.ca. And I'm adding all the links to the show notes. 
I really appreciate all the insights you've shared. You didn't, uh, you you made my book so much easier today. I didn't even have to talk much because I mean you you shared some amazing stories. I really appreciate that, and we should absolutely repeat it sometime again the third time. <laughs> so we'll plan for it sometime in 2017 if you want mine. I would love that, and yeah. there'll be lots to, to tell both on There's this some... particular story and other things too. Yeah, because I think you may have some some updates on that one, and maybe new case studies. You look on some big big things there. So, yeah, appreciate your time and sharing it with us. Thank you, and till next time. Thank you, Andrew. It's always a pleasure, and I'd love to be back again. Thank you all for tuning in. Find the links to Aaron's profiles, Steve's websites, and the other projects Aaron talked about on this show. Add the show notes at wispin.co slash WSR80. Have any feedback or questions? Let us know via an iTunes review, which is the uh, best things you can do on SoundCloud, Twitter, email, whatever you prefer. Thank you a lot for listening once again. Until next time. You have been listening to the We Spin Recipes podcast. Learn how we can help you improve your music career at wespin12.com. We Spin12.